0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor JD Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor JD is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Why did you doubt?
1: Why is your faith so. Why are you freaking out? And then he just calms the storm. I mean, just be still. Peace be still. They're like, whoa, that was really cool. What's my point? Maybe you're asking, do you actually have a point? I do. I have a point. The point is, is that God is the God of the storm. God is all-powerful. He has the power over the storm.
0: Have you ever completely freaked out over a situation only to look back at it in awe of how God resolved it, only to freak out over the next situation? (laughs) In today's message, Pastor J.D. reflects on the feeble strength of our faith. And how God delivers us time and time again, despite our lack of faith and trust in Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 113 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: All right. Psalm 113, a relatively short psalm. Verse 1. I love how it starts. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord, verse 4, is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high? This is interesting, verse 6. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Have you ever thought of God that way? Have you ever thought about God being humble? As a characteristic, an attribute, as the nature of who God is, that God is humble? Think of it this way. Here is God omnipotent, all-powerful, God omniscient, all-knowing, and God omnipresent, all-present. This is Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, yet He's humble. He doesn't just have power, He has all power yet he's humble. God humbles himself. And the reason that he humbles himself, we're told, is to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. It reminds me of a psalm earlier that we studied through, a psalm of David, where he describes very uh, picturesque this image of God bowing down This is God, God Almighty, bowing down His ear, taking the posture of humility to give ear to His servant's cry. I think of Jesus, God incarnate. God became flesh, and tabernacled amongst us, John tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 1. Here is the God man, fully God, fully man, yet he humbled himself. He was meek and humble. This is God in human flesh. God amongst us, Emmanuel, and yet he humbled himself. Verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants, verse 9, the barren womb, a home, like a joyful mother of children. And then the psalm ends, ever so gloriously as it began. Praise the Lord. So interesting, Psalm 113 is a psalm of pure praise. I say it that way because what's striking to me is Throughout this psalm of praise there's no supplication, there's no petition, there's no asking of God for anything. It's only a psalm to praise the Lord. It's a psalm of praise and worship. You know sometimes I think that God takes great delight when we approach Him and all we do is praise Him. Just those times when instead of petitioning and putting out our requests and asking Him for anything and everything, nothing wrong with that. In fact, we're commanded to do that. But sometimes I think that just like an earthly parent wants for their children, just to express their gratitude without asking them for anything. You know how it is sometimes your kids, are, kids are really clever, aren't they? They'll, they'll come to you and they'll just, they'll approach you and, you know, thank you. And, oh, you know, you know, you're really a, a good parent. It's kind of like, okay, what do you want? You know it's coming. And sure enough, you know, they'll start off, you know, thanking you and kind of buttering you up, and then, and then they kind of just go in ever so subtly and, and ask you for what they want. <laughs> I mean, kind of invalidates the thanksgiving and the gratitude and the praise that preceded the request that they petitioned. <laughs> It's almost like it was manufactured for the, just for the sake of getting what they wanted. Well this is a a psalm of pure praise, and it's actually the first of six psalms. So Psalm 113 through to Psalm 118, until we get to Psalm 119, there are six psalms, and they're called halal psalms. Halal is the word meaning praise. So Hallelujah. It's a praise of God. So they're called praise psalms. And this is the first of six psalms. And here's what's even more interesting, and it actually gets more interesting, is that these particular psalms that we have before us preserved in the canon of Scripture that we're going through tonight and every Thursday night, are actually the exact psalms and songs that the Jews would sing during the feasts. Three feasts in particular, the Feast of Passover, which we're celebrating uh, with Resurrection Sunday, and the Feast of Pentecost, which took place fifty pent, five days after, the Feast of first fruits, and then the last feast of the seven feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles. These halal psalms, these praise psalms, were sung during these feasts. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. You know what this means? This means that Jesus Himself would have sung this very psalm, Psalm 113. And in particular, it would have been sung on the Passover celebration, which we actually have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Let me read verses 26 through 30. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That is speaking of the yet future fulfillment at the wedding feast of the Lamb. When we, if you can wrap your mind around this, partake with Him at the table, face to face. Can't even imagine what that is going to be like. Inexpressible joy unspeakable joy. But then verse 30 says this, and when they had sung a hymn, a psalm, guess what? Psalm 113. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I don't want to get too, I guess, hyper spiritual for lack of a better term, but the psalm we just read, the Savior had sung, from His very lips was this psalm, Psalm 113, sung. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. Now verse 3, we kind of turn a corner, and we have this, I guess you could say, description of God's power over nature. And so the psalmist in this song describes it this way, verse 3, the sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The little hills like lambs. And then verse 5 is this rhetorical question, personifying the seas, asking, What ails you, O sea, that you fled? I kind of like that. It's kind of, maybe a... Sanctified sarcasm, if I can say it that way. What what ails you, O sea, that you fled? Almost kind of a, uh, well. O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills, like lambs. Verse 7, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. What a interesting psalm, just so much imagery, and it's all about the power of God's miraculous delivering of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Speaking of the parting of the Red Sea. So here this psalm is a second in the series of halal psalms. Again, very short psalm, very brief, but I believe it speaks to the power of God in our lives. I was thinking about the storm that the disciples encountered there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It just came suddenly, out of nowhere. And they think this is how it ends. And what's striking to me about the account is that Jesus comes walking on the water to them in the boat. And Peter, to his credit, says, bid me come. And for a little while, we're not really told how long, I don't imagine it was very long, it couldn't have been. He's walking on water, for as long as at least he kept his eyes on the Lord. I heard someone teach it this way. I never really thought of it this way before. So here's Peter walking on the water. Now, how far out did he get to, and how close did he get to Jesus? He had to have been probably at least close enough to where when he started to sink and and cried out, Lord, save me, that Jesus immediately grabbed him, and saved him. So we know that he was at least close enough in proximity for Peter to get to. And certainly he had to be close enough in proximity to the boat in order for them to recognize that it was the Lord. Because at first they thought it was a ghost, which, (laughs) I mean they were already terrified. And then to see, you know, I mean they had not seen this before. And for all we know throughout recorded history, nobody else other than Peter walked on water, right? So this is where I'm going with this, and and think this through with me. So he's walking on the water, and I wonder if he was looking back at the boat from the perspective of where Jesus was. Keep in mind, the storm was still raging. He had not yet calmed the storm. Why is that important? And How do we know that? We know that because Peter in taking his eyes off of Jesus, put his eyes on the raging storm. That's what caused him to sink. It could very well be that there was this wave that hit him, a gust of wind, and it, it shook him, disoriented him, and caused him to, all of a sudden now, look at the storm. (laughs) I think to myself, and I I I want to be fair to Peter, I think Peter gets just, I mean, he gets, he gets a lot of stink talked about Peter, right? A lot of people talk stink about him. Uh, And I think unfairly so. I mean, for all of his idiosyncrasies, for all of his fumbles and And blunders and all the times that he would just say something and then think about what he said, right? I know none of us have ever done that, but he just (laughs) blurts it out, and then (laughs) so many times I'm sure he wished I I wished I wouldn't have said that. And uh but for all of that you gotta hand it to the guy. For just a small window of time, he was looking at this from the perspective of Jesus himself. And what's really interesting to me is, he was on the very thing that they were so afraid of. Right? The water's the problem. The storm is the problem. And for Jesus to come walking on top of that storm was a demonstration of his power over that storm. That's not the only storm. We know the other accounts, at least the ones that were told about. There could have been more. We don't know. So this time Jesus is in the boat with him, sleeping. Sleeping. And I mean, the disciples are incensed. Like, are you kidding me? And so he, they wake him up. And, and the way they wake him up, I mean, come on. Don't you care? Don't you care? Really? Don't you care? And Jesus, and I never imagined Jesus being angry in his tone when he, Says to them, why? Oh, ye of little faith. I just, I, 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 I kind of imagine it as this, you know, I, I just, I feel so sorry for you that your faith is so little when your God is so big. Why did you doubt? Why is your faith so, li- why are you freaking out? And then he just calms the storm. I mean, just be still peace be still. They're like, whoa, that was really cool. What's my point? Maybe you're asking, do you actually have a point? I do, I have a point. The point is, is that God is the God of the storm. God is all powerful. He has the power over the storm. To me, this is the takeaway from this psalm. And it's something that at first it can seem like a firm grasp of the obvious. I mean, it's sadly become sort of cliche that God is the God of the impossible, nothing too hard for the Lord. I mean, we say it, we sing it, we pray it, but think about it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? That storm you're in, that trial you're experiencing. You have a big God. God can do anything. God is the God of the impossible. He always has been, is, and will ever be the God of the impossible. I'm convinced, and I've experienced it in my own walk with the Lord, that many times God will allow the situation to become so impossible so as to bring me to the end of myself so that I'm totally out of options. We're actually going to see that here in a moment. I mean there's nothing I can do. In fact, (laughs) the more I've tried, the worse it got. I mean even when I prayed, it's like You almost think to yourself, I'm going to stop praying, because the more I pray, the worse it gets. I mean, this thing is so perplexing. This thing is so difficult. This thing is absolutely impossible. I cannot see any way that I'm getting out of this one. I'm not going to make it through this one. You know, I was uh, thinking about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27, we're going to be talking about that when we finish uh, Philippians chapter four. The Apostle Paul makes a very interesting reference, uh, one that can be easily missed because it's right at the end of the letter, and he's you know sending greetings and saying goodbye, and he says all of the household of Caesar. You know he refers to them, the household of Caesar. Oh yeah.
0: We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study and we'll continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at InSpiritandTruthRadio.com you can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s MidEast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mid-East Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor JD's teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.